Exodus 28. So we're working our way through Exodus. Exodus is one of those books that uh, sometimes we read through and it's like, ah, there's just so much detail here. It's kind of like overwhelming. So we just kind of like rush through that because after all, who needs to, I mean, what's the big deal? What do you need to know or why do you need to know that God uses four different color threads and white linen and why do you need to know about gold chains and gold cords and stones with names engraved on them and breastplates and ephods and robes and tunics and who knows what even those things are, right? Because I don't and I don't wear them. So what does it have to do with me today? And you know, that's a, that's a valid question. That's an important question. But here's what we need to understand. It doesn't matter whether we understand or not. It doesn't matter whether we know or not. Every thing in this book we call the Bible is there for us and it teaches us, it informs us, and it reveals something to us. So before we read Exodus 28, I'm going to review just a moment in a word because we're talking about the tabernacle. Remember, we've been talking about the tabernacle now in Exodus 28. We're going to see the garments that the priest would wear. So in a word, the tabernacle pictures for us Christ. We come to Exodus 28 where God is giving Moses instruction concerning the holy garments that the priests are commanded to wear while ministering to the Lord in the tabernacle. And the penalty for disobeying this commandment from God is death. If Aaron or his sons walked into that tabernacle to minister before the Lord wearing their regular clothes, they would die. God tells Moses that the purpose for making and wearing these holy garments is for glory and for beauty. That's really important. You should highlight that in your Bible. The purpose for making these garments, these holy garments, God says, is for glory and for beauty. If the whole of the tabernacle and its service is picturing Christ, then it most certainly pictures all of Christ. And in picturing all of Christ, it must picture his body. The tabernacle teaches us today concerning Christ, who is our great high priest, and it teaches us concerning his body, who is his royal priesthood. That's us. That's what the church is called today, a royal priesthood. And so as we look into this chapter of Scripture, may we see and may we hear and may we learn what it is revealing to us, but also in us for glory and for beauty for him. Amen? I'm going to read to you this text, Exodus 28. Now Aaron, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may be minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, 
a, a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. And they shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically worked. And it shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone, in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall set them in settings of gold. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. And you shall also make settings of gold and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. And you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And you shall make it, and it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. And you shall put the settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, jacinth, an agate, an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. And they shall be according to the twelve tribes. And you shall make chains for the breastplate at the end like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And on the other ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in front. And you shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it and you which is on the inner side of the ephod and two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod and they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel 
over his heart before the Lord continually. And you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. And there shall be an opening for its head in the middle of it. And it shall be woven binding all around its opening like the opening of a coat of mail. So that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue purple and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, when he comes out that he may not die. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord and that it may be on the turban and shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in their, ho- in their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And you shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread and you shall make the tunic of fine linen and you shall make the sash of woven work for Aaron's sons. You shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty and you shall put them on Aaron, your brothers and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them and sanctify them that they minister to me as priests and you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness and they shall reach from the waist to the thighs and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur, incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. The word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would take your word and that you would put it in our heart, that you would cause by your spirit this word to be illuminated, that it would reveal your truth to us, that it would change us and transform us, that it would renew our minds and conform us to the very image of the Son of God. We thank you that this is a work of grace that you do continually by your spirit in our lives. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So here's a summary of the text. God commands Moses to make holy garments for Aaron and for Aaron's sons to wear while ministering in the tabernacle because priests can't just wear anything as they're ministering before the Lord. He is commanded to wear holy garments and they're very specific in the way they are to be made. You'll notice that God is very specific and very detailed about everything he is giving instruction about making. So God is not one of these guys who looks at it and says, I think that's good enough. That's not God. Because remember, all of this speaks of Christ. And who is Christ? Christ is the one we are growing up into. We are coming to the fullness of the measure of Christ, Paul writes in Ephesians. And so God is giving us detail. It's not that we need to know what a span is, what a cubit is. It's not that. 
It's that we need to recognize whether we understand the measurements or not, whether we understand, can visualize in our mind or not what's being made here, what's being created here. What we are to understand is God is very purposeful. He's very detailed in who he is and all he does. And that should inform us in how we are to live our lives. So there's this command to make these holy garments because these holy garments consecrate Aaron and his sons. That word consecrate means to set apart. So the garments set him apart and identify him as a member of the priesthood. All the detail of these garments speak of Christ. They speak of his nature and character, his ministry and work. And so they speak of all who are made members of his body. These holy garments transcend articles of clothing worn outwardly to cover the body. They reveal how we are to be clothed inwardly in our heart and in our mind. In Christ, we are called a royal priesthood and we are commanded to be clothed accordingly for glory, and for beauty. Amen? So, this is, this is the statement I want to stick with you. God says, and you shall make holy garments for glory and for beauty. So if you're reading this and you're wondering, wonder why God, why, why is God so caught up with all this? Well, he gives you the answer right there. Why is God having Moses make all this? Why is God instructing the children of Israel to have these things made and to have the priesthood wear these? Well, the answer is right here, for glory and for beauty. The priestly garments described in Exodus 28 and elsewhere throughout Exodus and Leviticus symbolize how we are to be clothed as followers of Jesus Christ. Remember, the tabernacle speaks of Christ. The garments speak of Christ. And it can't speak of Christ and not speak of us because we are members of the body of Christ. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so these garments symbolize Christ and they symbolize us because we have become a royal priesthood that is now invited to come boldly to his throne of grace. This is what I alluded to. So when I come up here during their service and I invite you to come up for prayer and I very often quote Hebrews chapter 4 where it says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That's not just talking about you coming to your prayer needs. This is the picture of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrews. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, there's this picture of the priest ministering in the temple. Specifically, when you get to Hebrews chapter 9, it's a picture of the day of atonement when the high priest one time a year goes into the holy, the most holy place to apply the blood to the mercy seat If he comes out, we know that God accepted the sacrifice and the sins of the nation have been forgiven until next year he's got to go back in. And and so that whole letter to the Hebrews pictures for us Jesus, our high priest. And so here, let me quote it to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet 
without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our great high priest. In Christ, we have been made a holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices to God that are made acceptable through Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know that's true? Because that's what the Bible teaches. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, Peter writes, as living stones. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. Now, he's not writing to us because we weren't alive back in that day, but he is absolutely writing for us who are alive today. And this scripture is for us. And the scripture teaches, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. That word house, spiritual house, is not just talking about a brick and mortar house. It's talking about a household. So, you know, the house of Ripple, the house of Ulmer, the house of Jones, the house of Smith, the house, put your last name there, the house of Aaron, the house of Levi. Aaron was a descendant of Levi, and it was the house of Levi that God chose to be the priesthood that would minister in the tabernacle. Well, what's happening now? Well, now we have a new New priest, a great high priest, Jesus Christ. What tribe was Jesus from? Not Levi. He was of the tribe of Judah. If a member of the tribe of Judah tried to walk into the tabernacle or the temple to minister in the most holy place, you know what would happen? According to God's word, he'd be struck down and killed. So what happened? Well, God changed something because the priesthood predated Moses and Levi. The priesthood predated it existed before Levi was ever birthed, born of his father Jacob. Who's the first priest that we see mentioned in the Bible? We go all the way back to Genesis, where Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 comes back from the battle and he meets Melchizedek of Salem. This is thousands of years before David, and there was a Jerusalem as we know it today. Melchizedek, king of peace. His word means king. And he was the priest that Abraham paid his tithe to as an offering, as an act of worship to the Most High God. Hebrews says Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a whole different sermon topic. It's a fascinating sermon topic. But here's what we need to know. Jesus is our high priest now because God made him, because he was always to be our high priest, because Levi and Aaron and Aaron's sons were just pictures. They were foreshadowing. They were pointing us to the ultimate great high priest who wasn't of the tribe of Levi, but was of the tribe of Judah, who was the pre-existent, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. He was eternally God's high priest that would come and minister and give us the privilege of coming to the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. 
He is this high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, was tempted at all points as we are, yet the difference is we're tempted and we sin. He was tempted, yet he did not sin. So Jesus is our great high priest. We are a spiritual house, a royal, a holy priesthood of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, but you are, and I'm talking to you, you are, listen, as living stones, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, you are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are given holy garments for glory and for beauty. Not to hang in our closets to look at. Not to admire as a wall hanging, as a special thing. We are given holy garments for glory and beauty that we might wear them. They made the garments. They were instructed. They sound too beautiful, too valuable to even wear. And you know what Aaron's going to do? You know how those garments are going to be cleaned and made holy? Aaron's going to put those garments on. He's going to walk into the tabernacle. He's going to walk up to that altar. He's going to take the blood and the oil. And you know how he's going to clean his garments? He's going to clean them with blood and oil. What happens when you get blood and oil on your clothes? You run to the laundry room and you shout it out and say, hey, we got to wash this really quick because if not, this blood and oil is going to set in and it's going to ruin my clothes. Yet Aaron takes these valuable, priceless, holy garments. He goes into the tabernacle and he sprinkles blood and oil on those garments that they might be cleansed because this is how God cleanses things. He cleanses them with blood, unlike we cleanse things. So to put on new garments, you have to take off your old. Colossians 3, chapter 4. I mean, Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Listen. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication. Put to death these things. Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Notice the past tense grammar there. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is, renew, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Everywhere you see there those words put off or put on, it is the Greek term, the Greek word that it describes 
perfectly what I'm taking off my jacket and putting on my jacket. It is perfectly describing the action of taking an old garment off and laying it aside and putting the new garment on. That is the language here. This putting off of the old and putting on the new like a garment is a literal spiritual truth. This is not just a metaphor. This is something literal. You're not just theoretically, metaphorically to put something off and put something on. You are to literally, in reality, put something off and put something new on. It only is possible through the new birth of a new creation. We must be born again of the Spirit. That is the only way we can put off the old nature of sin and death and put on the new life of the Spirit in Christ. This is a work of God's grace. Notice Paul brings this down. Here's your practical application. What does it look like to put off the old? Well, he says, put off anger, put off malice, put off wrath, put off blasphemy, put off filthy language out of your mouth. Put those off your life. Don't don't wear those anymore. Don't wear those things anymore. Well, so what am I supposed to do? Walk around naked? No. You put that off, you put the old off, and you put something new on. And you might say, well, what is that? Well, we're going to get to that. So if we confess to be followers of Jesus Christ, there must be a putting off of the old and a putting on of the new. We cannot minister to the Lord dressed in the unclean garments of the old man. We must take off the old garments and put on the holy garments that speak of a new birth of a new man in Christ. Remember, we are a royal priesthood. God warned Moses and he warned Aaron and his sons, if you come into this tabernacle to minister before me and you do not have the right garments on, you will die. We are a royal priesthood. The only way that we can live before the Lord ministering to him is having put off the old and put on the new. So we are clothed in love. We are to be clothed in love, making manifest that which abides inwardly. So as we continue on in Colossians, listen, as Paul continues on in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercy. So he just told us through verse 11 what to put off. Now in verse 12, He's telling us what to put on. So you put the old off. Now here's what you want to put on. God doesn't leave us naked. We must be clothed and we have to be clothed in the holy garments that he provides for us. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, 
which is the bond of perfection. That word bond there is like a fastener. It's like a binding. Remember when I read to you through Exodus 28, and it talked about a breastplate and an ephod. An ephod is just like a robe, and, and the robe went over this long tunic, this bright white linen tunic that went down below uh, long on, on Aaron's legs, and then over that bright white tunic, there was this blue robe, and over that blue robe, there was a, was a, an, uh, uh, a breastplate. And the breastplate was fastened to the ephod, and the ephod came apart. Well, how was all that fastened? That was all that talk about cords and gold chains and gold rings and all of those things. And, and there were stones set in the shoulder piece of the breastplate, onyx stones. And one was six of the tribes of Israel, and on the other were the other six tribes of Israel. And those stones were set in gold settings. And you notice that everything that held that garment together was gold. Even the cords that they tied the gold plate to, they were multicolored, but you notice it said gold thread. So even in the places where it wasn't a solid gold cord or a solid gold chain, if it was fastening something together, there was gold in it. Remember what gold speaks of in the tabernacle? It speaks of God. It speaks of the highest heaven. So the altar where they put the animal was brass. It speaks of the earth. But gold, the mercy seat, the ark, the throne, it's gold. Everything at the top was gold because it speaks of God. This gold on these garments speak of how God is holding everything together. He is the one. He is the bond of perfection. Love, put on love. Who is love? God is love. Where does love come from? Love comes from God. We love him because he first loved us. We have hope because God poured his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And we know hope does not disappoint, Romans chapter 5. Put on love. Above all things, put on love, which is the bond, the binder, the fastener of perfection. In other words, it's never going to break. It's never going to come loose. It's never going to come untied. That setting is never going to break and those stones are never going to fall out because this is a picture of God divinely holding us, fastening us to himself. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also were call, you were called in one body and be thankful. This is what we put on. Thankfulness, peace, forgiveness, Humility, kindness, mercy, tenderness, all of these things, love. And love is the one word, the one expression that includes all of these things. Just like love is the one expression that manifests all the fruit of the Spirit. And he goes on and he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord that whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to put on garments that are woven with tenderness, mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the character of Christ. Our garments consecrate us. They identify us as the royal priesthood. They consecrate us to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to be 
thankful. Above all, we are to put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Love bonds us to Christ and it binds us to one another. Specifically, it is love, the love of God that bonds us and makes us one with God and one with one another. So we are to be clothed in love, making manifest that which abides inwardly because of the love that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is why tenderness and kindness and patience and forgiveness and being able to bear with one another. That is what comes out of our life because that is what is in our life. We're to be clothed with humility. First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, young and old, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, out of his humility, out of his obedience, God has highly exalted him and given to him the name which is above every other name. And to that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We are to put on humility. We are to clothe ourselves with humility. But don't confuse humility with weakness or lack of resolve or lack of power or lack of authority. In our humility, Christ is strong even when we are weak. In Christ, we have been given power and authority and strength in his name. And it is through humility that we are most able to walk in that power, that authority, and that strength. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. When we humble ourselves, when we are bowed down, God knows how and he knows when he will lift us up. The scripture commands us to be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are to be clothed with humility as Christ was. We are to be clothed in these holy garments for glory and for beauty. We're to be clothed in garments of holiness and righteousness. So these garments that God was commanding Moses to make spoke of all these things. Not just one of these things because they speak of who Christ is. And we see in all of these things in humility and love and holiness and righteousness. 
we see this is who Christ is. Bright white linen represents the righteousness of God. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus dictating the letters to the seven churches of Asia and in his letter to the church at Sardis, beginning in verse 4, Jesus says, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. God's promise is that we have overcome by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The undefiled garments of white the priest wore under the robe and the ephod represented the righteousness of God that undergirds us and sets us apart. In the name of Jesus and by his blood, God counts us righteous. In Christ, our names are written in his book of life, never to be blotted out. The righteousness and the life of his spirit that he grants to us inwardly is to be made manifest outwardly the same way fruit manifests on a tree in season. And just as God gloriously and beautifully clothes the trees with flowers and bud leading to fruit, God clothes us in Christ leading to the fruit of his spirit in righteousness and holiness for glory and for beauty. In other words, if the spirit of God is in us, we are counted righteous by his spirit that dwells in us. And if that spirit dwells in us, what is going to come out of our life? His righteousness, his holiness. So I can't say I'm a sweet apple, but tastes like a bitter lemon. I can't do it. I can say it, but my fruit's going to betray me. Do you get that, church? Jesus said, a false prophet, you will know them by their fruits. And then he goes on to say, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, do great miracles and prophesy in your name? And he said, I will say to them in that day, depart from me, you workers of unrighteousness, you workers of lawlessness, for I do not know you. Now notice, they thought they knew Jesus, but Jesus said, you may think you know me, but I don't know you. Because it's not our works that save us. It's not doing miracles that save us. It's not being able to exercise spiritual gifts that save us. Listen, God caused a donkey to talk. He, he can use anyone to do anything he wants to. What measures us, what determines and what identifies us is the fruit of the Spirit. Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life? Is your life manifesting something that's consistent with the Jesus you confess lives on the inside of you? And if what's coming out of you is not consistent with what you confess to be on the inside, then I would encourage you to look to the Lord and look in that mirror and see and this is, this is what God is instructing Moses about. This is why God is taking pains, taking detail. He's, he's giving all this detail so that Moses makes this right and then 
Aaron and his sons in the priesthood are not walking into something unknown. This is why God has given us his word. It's a mirror for us to look into. This word, more importantly than revealing God, reveals us in relation to God. That's why I always tell people who tell me, I don't understand the Bible, so I stopped reading it because I wasn't getting anything out of it. Well, you're looking at the Bible wrong. You don't read the Bible for you to get something out of it. You read the Bible because the Bible is doing something in you. It doesn't matter whether you understand the Bible or not. You just keep reading it. And the more you read it, you'll begin to realize. You guys ever been floating the Frio down at Garner State Park? You notice something about all the rocks in the river? You know why they call them river rock? You notice they're not, none of them are square or rectangular. They're all round. River rock is round. You know how it got round? Because it was in that river with water running over it and, and, and banging up against things. And in time, the edges got knocked off. This is what the word of God does in you. So never ever give up reading the word of God because you don't understand it. Because it understands you and that's what's important for you to know. What, the only thing you need to understand about the Bible is it understands you. So you keep reading it and it's going to keep washing you. It's going to keep taking those rough edges off. And one day you're going to realize, wow, I never saw that before. It's how you can read a scripture and say, I've read that a million times, but I've never seen that scripture that way. That's not because you understood something different. That's because the scripture revealed something in you. It's what the word did in you, not what you got out of the word. That was free. That really wasn't part of my sermon. I just gave you that one for free. Okay. So we overcome by grace through faith. This white linen, this righteousness of his spirit is to be manifest outwardly. So if God lives in us, he should be seen through us. It's really that simple. But the ability for God to be seen through you is not your work. It's his work. It's his grace. Now we're to be clothed in garments of praise. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the ven and vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified the garment of praise isaiah prophesied about is given to us in jesus christ you get that garment in christ who fulfilled the words of this proper prophecy you read you can go later on to luke chapter 4 and you'll see jesus quotes this very scripture and he says this scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing he said that in his hometown synagogue in nazareth this is a picture of worship we are called trees, the planting of the Lord. The garment of praise is presented here in the context of mourning. Do you notice that? 
beauty for ashes, oil for joy, for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So this garment of praise is presented here in the context of mourning for the spirit of heaviness that they, that we may be called trees of righteousness. We are called the trees. We are called to be waving our branches and bowing, but not breaking under the wind and the weight of his mercy. We are the planting of the Lord that we may be glorified. That he may be, excuse me, that he may be glorified. So picture a tree in a storm. That's just a waving. God was purposeful here. He used this metaphor to teach us something. We don't like the storm, but sometimes the storm is for a purpose. Listen, I had a tornado hit my house back last year in February. In the moment that the tornado was raging and water was pouring into my house, it was horrible. Now, I thank God every day for the blessing of that tornado because I got my house remodeled. I could have never had that done. That didn't work the same for everybody. But in that moment, the storm, what what were the trees doing? Man, they were bent to the ground. God says, you are the planting of the Lord. Trees of righteousness. And so in the storms, and this is why the garment of praise is presented here in the context of mourning, in the context of storm, because we're like those trees that are waving our branches. And God says, liken that to the garments of praise. Praise God even in the storm. This is a picture of worship. Just like the priestly garments speak of worship, God has adorned us and he commands us that we wear his adornment, his garments as we live in worship before him, even when it may not be in the context that we would choose for ourselves. His glory and our salvation is in the detail. Have you ever heard the saying, the devil's in the details? Well, listen, his glory is in the details. Let me just take you through a few things here. Aaron carried the names of the tribes of Israel engraved on precious stones upon his shoulder before the Lord each time he ministered in the tabernacle. Christ makes us acceptable and carries us before the Father, not on his shoulders, but but in his very life. Ephesians 5 verse 30 says, we are members of his body, of his bone, and of his flesh. If that's a picture of oneness, I've never seen one. Aaron carried the names of the tribes on his shoulders before the Lord as a memorial. Jesus carries us into the presence of the Father as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, as members of his body. Aaron could only picture what would ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. Aaron wore the breastplate of judgment over his heart fitted with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. The Urim and Thummim, those were the two mysterious stones that God would cause to light up and and he would tell the high priest what to do. Who's our Urim and Thummim today? Those things are gone. Nobody knows what happened to them. You know why they're gone? 
because we don't need them today. Because who lives in us? We have something better. People read that and they say, man, I wish I could find those things. No, you don't. You don't want to find those things. Then you just make an idol idol out of them. You'd be in sin. You've got something better than an urum, urum and a thumum. You've got the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you. You have the inspired word of God. And you can break open this and get a word from God anytime you want. And you've got the best interpreter living on the inside of you. And if you'll take the time to learn this word from front to back and learn the whole counsel of God, you won't even be worried about whether you're going to make a bad decision or not. It's just when we decide that we want to cherry pick and make God in our own image and just believe certain scriptures and ignore other ones. We don't have the luxury of doing that. So pick this Bible up and begin to read it from cover to cover and begin to let God work in you so that you can begin to know what his will is. And you won't need to go to some prophet or some special service because his will will be revealed to you right here in his word. So Aaron wore this breastplate for judgment. He wore it over his heart. You notice that the judgment of God was placed over the heart of Aaron. We're not judged. Listen, this, this is not about wearing special garments or special undergarments. There are movements that believe that. Mormons, they wear special undergarments, and it's all based on this stuff right here because they misinterpret the scripture. The point is there's not any article of clothing that you can wear that's going to make you holy. Now, there might be some that can make you unholy. <laughs> but even that is a product of what's in your heart. What makes you holy or unholy is really what's in your heart. And it is the heart that God looks at. This is a picture of worship. This is a picture of the detail that God gives to us. The gold plate engraved on his forehead, holiness to the Lord. Who is our head? Christ is our head. Who is the only one that ever walked in perfect holiness? Christ is the only one. Aaron was called to be holy, but he could not be holy the way God was holy. Peter says, be holy, for God is holy. You and I will fail in our attempt to be holy, but if we're trusting in Jesus, who is holy, you and I will never be sinless, but if we're trusting in Jesus, who is sinless, then God counts us holy, and God counts our sin forgiven. And he cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it is infinitely cast away from him, never to come back to him. You have that assurance through the word of God. All of this detail, all of this is for glory and for beauty. All of this foreshadows Christ and it speaks to how we are to be clothed inwardly and outwardly according to the very essence of Jesus. This is only possible by grace through the power of his spirit working in us. He does not do it apart from us, but God is working in us and God is working through us. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. 
For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes things work because, I'm sorry, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is your destiny, child of God, to be conformed to the image of the son of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. It is his grace to be clothed with his holy garments for glory and for beauty. We come to the table of the Lord in celebration of this grace, of this glory, and of this beauty. It is by his grace. It is for glory and for beauty that God commands the priesthood to adorn themselves in these garments. And these instructions given for Aaron, given to Aaron, are given for us because there are garments consistent with the holiness and the righteousness and the glory and the beauty of God that we are to put on. When we come to this table today, we come in celebration of his grace, not because we are holy, but because he is holy. And we can now be counted holy because our faith and our trust is in the Holy One. We can be counted righteous because our faith, our trust is in the righteous one. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, his very presence, because in Jesus Christ, he has clothed us with the holy garment. If you have never trusted in Jesus, I invite you to trust in him. And I invite you to come to the table. We'll all get the elements and we'll all take them together. Christian, I invite you to come to the table of the Lord. Here's your charge. Putting on holy garments is much more than dressing modestly or how we dress outwardly. We are made holy by Jesus. What? or rather who we are to put on is Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remember in a word, the tabernacle speaks of Christ. So in a word, we are to put on Christ. And when we put on Christ, our life will look like him, sound like him, And give witness to him. God commanded that his priesthood wear holy garments to be set apart for his service. God commands the same thing today for his royal priesthood. And if you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. So put on the holy garments that can only be given and put on in Christ. Trust him. Call upon his name. Repent and turn to him if you have not. And be clothed with his holy garments for glory and for beauty for him. Amen.